You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. I'm back on U.S. soil. I was in Israel for uh, 10 days and uh, survived a week of eating uh, more hummus than I thought I would ever eat in my life, and and schnitzel, and shawarmas, and uh, falafels. So... um, it was an amazing 10-day uh, experience, eye-opening, life-changing experience, and uh, I want to thank Pastor Tony and the, and the staff team for uh, taking on extra stuff to allow me to get away and be a part of this trip. I traveled with 28 other pastors from the central United States to go and experience the Holy Land, and, and it, was, uh, it was a life-changing experience, um, both seeing holy sites and some of the geopolitical situations, familiarizing ourselves with the geopolitical situations um, across the Holy Land, both on the Syrian border side, uh, all the way down to the Gaza Strip. And um, you know, we, we got right in the area of a lot of the, uh, the missile fire, and, uh, and it, was, it was pretty interesting. So, um, we good? Oh, okay. Um, but we survived. So um, we started the week, and I have a message on my heart this morning I'm going to share from Isaiah chapter 9, but I wanted to just kind of give you a little glimpse of, of the trip that I took to Israel. Um, we started the week up in the northern part of Israel in the area of Galilee, which is where Jesus' home, home base was and where he was from and his homeland. Um, and for a 21st century follower of Jesus, to walk there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There was something so uh, intimate about that connection with my Savior, or that being the place where he called his disciples to himself. And man, every morning I woke up early to catch the, the Israeli sunrise, and, uh, and I'd be there right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it'd be like I could hear Jesus calling me. And there was nothing like it. And um, I know, Pastor, I listened to the podcast. I heard Pastor Tony mention this, but we did get to take a, a boat ride from... Uh, one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And we started on the side of the, where the non-Jewish uh, people would have been settling. Um, you know, the, the area, if you're familiar with the Gospels, the, the story of the, the legion being cast out of the man, the legion of demons being cast out of the man and thrown into the pigs, that was the area that we started our boat ride. And, and honestly, it was a beautiful, beautiful day in the mid-60s, sunny. And we started out on this boat ride, on, that's our little vessel, a uh, 24-foot uh, boat, uh, steel hull, really. It looks like it's wood, but it's, it's just a facade. Um, and we start out on this, this awesome little voyage across the Sea of Galilee. And out of nowhere, this storm starts brewing. And our guide, who's done this hundreds of times, he said this has never happened before, but it was literally like it was from the, the, book, uh, the book of Mark or something. Uh, the storm starts a brewing, white caps are forming, we're all drenched. And, uh, and, you know, you know, the, 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 the gospels talk about the, uh, the boat being buffeted by the waves. We were being thoroughly buffeted and, uh, and the waves crashing against our, our boat. And obviously we're not fearing for our lives, but it did bring to, um, bring to life the story in the gospels. If you can imagine a boat, you know, 10 feet uh, less than length, you know, 14 foot long boat being rowed across the, the massive Sea of Galilee, which is just a large lake. Um, it's a misnomer a little bit, but you know, the, the Lake of Galilee, them rowing across in this, I mean, it, it really brought it to life. Um, 
I mean, where, the, where the, the gospel similarities ended was no one walked on water. No one was able to calm the storm. Um, nor was anybody sleeping like Jesus was sleeping through the storm. So we just all walked off the boat thoroughly soaked. Uh, and my, my boots took, took a couple days to dry out. So I was wearing my ten, tennis shoes the rest of the, the, rest of the time in Galilee. Um, we went from Galilee and we, we started our trek towards Jerusalem. And we had the privilege of stopping in the Judean desert, which is between Jericho and, you know, Jericho is down by the Dead Sea and it's 12 miles from the, the more mountainous Jerusalem. And there in the 12, 12 mile gap between Jericho and Jerusalem is the Judean wilderness. And this was one of my favorite spots because they gave us an opportunity just to spend time with Jesus. And it was there, just me and Jesus in the desert where I had this just really... I felt like a fresh encounter with the reality that Jesus came and lived like you and I did, and he submitted himself to temptation like you and I did. And it, was, it was in this location, I mean, around this area, that Jesus submitted himself to the temptations of the enemy, you know, the three temptations. And he, he, he's lived like you and I, I, I have lived, but yet he was without sin. And he did it in extreme conditions. You know, we can think we have the... Um, Everything stacked up against us. But here he was in the wilderness. No place to lay his head at night. And yet, he, yet he overcame sin and he was victorious over temptation. It was, it was an eye-opening experience and something just so surreal being in that beautiful landscape to think that that's where Jesus walked. And we ended up spending the rest of our, uh, the, the remaining five days of our time in Israel in uh, Jerusalem, the holy city. And, uh, and that was an amazing experience in this really small town of a million people, 900,000 people in the city of Jerusalem. And yet it is the focal point of the entire earth is this city, um, Jerusalem. And you can uh, go to the next picture, which is, uh, this is me standing on, this is my view, standing on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is so significant as you read through the Gospels, this is such a, um, a prominent spot for Jesus as he spends time on the earth. This is his view of Jerusalem, the older part of Jerusalem. And this is obviously where he, he stood in Luke chapter 19 and he, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, I wish they could experience this peace. That they, they're blinded to the peace that's available to them, this Jerusalem, the city of chaos and city of um, the city that... Um, kills their own prophets. That's the, the heart of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. It's also in Luke chapter 19 that he, he prays on the night of his betrayal. It's Luke, I mean, it's um, the Mount of Olives that he, he also is, uh, obviously ascends to heaven uh, after his resurrection. And so something hit me as I was standing here on the Mount of Olives because even 80 years ago, for me to stand in that place, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be looking at a Jerusalem that is home to the Jewish people. That's a miracle, a modern miracle that happened in 1948 where Israel became an independent nation again. That for 2,000 years, the Jewish people were in exile ever since AD 70. And for me to live at this moment in human history to be able to stand on the Mount of Olives and look out at a Jerusalem, which is now home to the Jewish people, it just hit me. It's like, I'm so thankful to be alive at this moment in human history. I get to witness these, these modern miracles. 
And God is writing a redemptive story. And obviously his people, his chosen people, the, the nation of Israel, that, that's part of it. So it's a big part of it. But I'm so thankful I get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of his redemptive story and what he's doing on the earth. Amen? Is that going to work? We shall see. You mind grabbing me uh, something? Uh, okay. So that's a little bit about my trip uh, to Israel. It was life-changing and uh, so eye-opening. I'll be sharing a little bit more this morning as, as we dive into the Word. But, but I want to share something on my heart um, from Isaiah chapter 9 as we continue this series. Ready for Messiah. You guys awake this morning? So quiet. I actually got sick the last couple days of uh, my trip in Israel, and so, like, my head's been all clogged. And so this morning, it's felt like you're really quiet in here. And I was like, I don't know if it's my head or if everyone's actually, like, sleeping or something, but you might have to make some noise this morning to make sure. Okay. Okay. Um, We're going to continue our series this morning, Ready for Messiah, We've been looking at prominent, significant uh, Old Testament prophecies that pointed the Jewish people towards their coming Messiah. In the very first week, we talked about this expectation that he'd be from the line of David, that he'd be of, of, of the line of the, the greatest king of Israel. That was their expectation. And obviously, Jesus fulfilled that. But he also kind of turns it on head. And we talked about that the very first week. Second week, we talked about, Pastor Tony last week spoke on the, the expectation of him being of perfect birth, being, a, being a born of a virgin from Isaiah chapter 7. This morning, we're going to talk about the way in which he is expected to come and rule and reign. If there's a specific characteristic or nature about his ruling and reigning that was uh, distinct and that, that kind of... Um, um, informed their, their vision of this Messiah to come. So Isaiah chapter 9, you should go home. We're kind of short on time, so you should go home and read uh, starting in verse 1 as well. But I'll just start in verse um, 6 for the sake of time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Pele Oetz, Ele Gabor, Aviad, Shar, Shalom. Wonder, literally, wonder of a counselor. Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the prophecy from the prophet Isaiah spoken to Israel about this coming Messiah. So now, now imagine yourself being a first century Jew, now being oppressed by the Roman government. In one sense, you are a free people. This is your, your land. You are 
you have this homeland of Israel and a, a place to worship in Jerusalem. You have the second temple built by Herod the Great. So in one sense, you're kind of fond of the Roman Empire because they've built you this amazing temple. But in one sense, you're oppressed by the Roman government. In one sense, you're not really free. You're kind of free, but you're not. And so you hear this prophecy of this coming Messiah, this one upon whom his, the, the government will be upon his shoulders. And the, the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. That sounds like really good news. This one who's going to rule in perfect righteousness and justice. And you're like, yes, I want that one. Come, Lord. Come, Messiah. Come. This king, come. And that's what informed your, uh, your view of this coming Messiah. And so as we then fast forward to the coming of Jesus, we see this is, this is something Jesus then begins to articulate and describe as, as part of the nature of the kingdom in which he is introducing. The nature of Jesus' kingdom is one that's ever-increasing. Verse 7, it says, he's, of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about this aspect of his kingdom or his governmental reign, which is that it's, uh, that it's ever-increasing. His rule and his reign is ever-increasing in your life and on the earth. That was something that Jesus continually emphasized. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, then the end will come. He came as the Messiah for Israel. But he says, this is a message that I'm bringing that's actually going to be a testimony to all the nations. It's through you I'm going to bless the, the entire world, and then the end will come. Or Matthew 28, verse 19, maybe you're familiar with that one. His commission to us as followers of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's this ever-increasing aspect of his kingdom. It's going to continue to increase his rule and his reign. Or Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' rule and his reign will be ever increasing. The Messiah came to rule and reign in an increasing way. That is the way of Jesus. That's the way of King Messiah Jesus. That word government that Jesus uses, I mean that... Uh, the prophet Isaiah uses in Isaiah chapter 9, government. The Hebrew word is misra, which literally means empire, supreme leader, supreme ruling, government. That's what that word literally means. And so he says the government or the empire will be upon his shoulders. And for first century Jews, that's really good news. This coming Messiah He's going to have it all resting upon his shoulders. So can I tell you today in the 21st century, everything rests on Jesus' shoulders. Everything rests on his shoulders. His shoulders are strong enough and they're broad enough. Everything rests on his shoulders. And in an increasing way, 
and in your life as you walk with him. He wants to continue to take more and more upon his shoulders. He wants there to be an increasing ruling and reigning over your life so that there's an increasing peace upon your life. And uh, two aspects that the prophet Isaiah emphasizes, characteristics of Jesus' kingdom or his government, will be that, will, will be that he rules with righteousness and justice. For ones that were oppressed by the Roman government and who were constantly used to being um, taken advantage of and um, looked down upon as Jewish people, that was good news to them to hear of this one who was going to be coming and reigning perfectly, perfectly righteously and perfectly justly. Those are the descriptors of this governmental reign of this one, Jesus. This is who he is, perfectly just, perfectly righteous. It's who he is. So as I was praying about, as I was flying back um, from Israel and praying about this weekend and things that God wanted to share, God wanted me to share with you all this weekend, I had it just overwhelming in my heart that God wanted to bring a breakthrough of peace upon many this weekend. He wanted you to, to experience an increase of peace upon your life, which is not always an escape from your situations, which is it's not always a, uh, necessarily a relief from your circumstances, but it's something internally that he brings through an increase in his ruling and his reigning in your life where he becomes, he becomes the, the dominant reality that rules your heart and your mind, where you realize there's one on whom it rests upon his shoulders. And with that, there's this accompanying peace that comes. And I've been praying, especially this Christmas season, which I know is a season of stress. Christmas is a, is a season where people are a little more um, anxious because of uh, family conflict because of um, family disagreements, because of family drama and family crisis, because of financial strain put upon us uh, because of com- the commercialization of the holidays. All of those things make this a very unpeaceful season. But Jesus was um, just putting this on my heart that upon our church and upon you all this morning, He wants to increase peace. And that comes through his governmental reign, him establishing his throne on your heart. His governmental reign in your life. Obviously, Jesus came and fulfilled this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9, fully and even more fully than what the the Jewish people assumed. They obviously thought government was, was limited to the idea of like the Roman government's role in their life. But Jesus came and demonstrated that his governmental reign completely obliterated that sort of definition of governmental reign. Everything literally rests on his shoulders. And Jesus demonstrated that his shoulders were stronger and broader than the Roman government. Jesus was the one who showed that his authority was greater than nature itself. 
as he calmed the storm. The disciples are like, who is this one who even has authority over nature? There's no government power on the earth who says they, they have authority over nature. Who is this one who can multiply food? Jesus showed that he had authority to multiply food. Government, the, the government can come up with certain programs to help the hungry and the hurting, but only Jesus could show that he has the, he has the authority to actually create something out of nothing. That's Jesus, Messiah. Jesus showed that he had authority over sickness. Government can come up with all sorts of healthcare systems and, and ways of caring for the sick, but no government on earth can demonstrate authority over sickness. But Jesus came and he demonstrated authority over sickness. Jesus came and he set the demon-possessed free. Government has no answer for that. All they, all's they can do for the demon-possessed, for those that are oppressed that heavily by the enemy, is lock them up. And Jesus came and he demonstrated authority, even over those who are possessed by demonic forces. And Jesus even demonstrated that he had authority to empathize with the brokenhearted, with the rejected. And the government is the least empathetic entity in the world. I mean, any government system, they're not great at showing empathy or compassion. But Jesus, his governmental reigns supersedes all other paradigms of governmental reigns. And he is one who can even empathize with the brokenhearted and with the rejected. And he can sit with them. He can show that they're loved They have a place where they can belong. He showed his authority. His shoulders are broader and they're stronger than any other governmental system. That's our Messiah. This morning, I want you to hear that. His peace may increase in your life as his rule and reign increases in your life. His shoulders, I mean, his, uh, everything is upon his shoulders, Literally, everything in your life is upon his shoulders. You can think of the situations that you're facing right now, whatever the the biggest, um, ugliest situations that you're facing. And you can declare that everything is upon his shoulders. It all rides on him. What you're doing when you do that is you're you're, uh, mustering up, you're you're fostering, you're cultivating in your heart a greater dependence on him, a greater reliance on him, greater trust in him. One of the pastors we traveled with was a man named Bob who, who's up for 12 years, served as a missionary in Russia. He shared this testimony, which just stuck with me, of relying on God and depending on God and, and some of the lessons that he learned coming out of it. I want to share this with you. He, he served as a uh, missionary in Russia for 12 years, and while they had a child while they were in Russia, and, uh, and th- this boy, he ended up having a lot of difficulties with asthma. So much so that um, it was potentially going to take his life. I mean, he just continued to suffer with, with asthma, with uh, no answers from the doctors. And, and they were becoming desperate. Here they were giving their lives on the mission field. They were trying to do their best to serve the Lord. And it seemed like it was to the detriment of their own son who was suffering and uh, potentially even going to die here. But they caught, they caught ear that 
a, uh, an evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, and I know Pastor Tony mentioned that he passed, right, he just passed away um, 10 days ago or something like that, eight days ago, um, Reinhard Bonnke did, went to be with the Lord at the age of 79, and, um, and he's one of the, the greats, one of the legends of our, of our generation, uh, ended up leading 72 million people to the Lord uh, in his lifetime. But they, they, caught, they caught wind that Reinhard Bonnke was going to be in the region. They had to take a boat ride like across the Baltic Sea or something to go, to go and hear him. But they, they did that, and they're like, we're going to go see if Reinhard Bonnke can pray for, for our son. Well, they ended up getting to the, the crusade, and they ended up missing Reinhard Bonnke's ministry time and his, his, his time of speaking. Like, they had missed it. it just, the journey took too long, and they missed it. And they're like, oh. Like all that traveling and all that for nothing. Ended up walking towards the, the back of the stadium and they were going to be leaving. And as they were walking out the door, Reinhard Bonnke also was walking out the door. And they, their paths ended up crossing and, and Reinhard Bonnke started to talk with them. And then he looked at the 10-year-old boy and he said, boy, what's your prayer request? And he has this deep, booming German voice. He says, I want to be healed of my asthma. And Reinhard lays his hand on and prays a simple prayer like we all should, prayer of faith. And right then, the boy was healed. Never again had any um, issues with asthma. Yeah, praise God. Amazing testimony. And this was significant, obviously, for this father who, who knew that God healed, but you know, when it's so close to home, that's, um, there's nothing like that. When, when that, that breakthrough comes, the, the miracle comes in that moment, and so he was so impact, this father was so impacted by, by Reinhardt's ministry in that moment, he went, and, he went and studied for a little while under Reinhardt and his ministry team. And he shared with us on our trip to Israel, um, he shared with us three things that Reinhardt's team uh, poured into him in his, in his time studying under them. One was this, that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. It's this way of the kingdom. That bold prayers really do demonstrate a certain faith and trust and reliance in who God is. And we say everything rests upon his shoulders. Well, I think our prayers should back that up. You know, we should, we should begin to pray these bold prayers that really demonstrate that everything rests upon his shoulders. And it's really, are those the types of prayers that God honors? God honors bold prayers. Second was this. Prayer is like the script of our life. We can think of a lot of things defining the plot line of the story of our life, but in their paradigm, in their world, as kingdom movers and shakers, they really felt like prayer was the best script of our life. The best thing that really defines the plot line, the redemptive story of our life which I thought was a beautiful description. And, it, and I totally thought I'd steal that for our church. Prayer is gonna be the script for our church. Prayer is gonna be it. We can think of a lot of things that are, are gonna define us in our city. It's gonna be prayer though. And third was this. The greatest tragedy is when prayers go unanswered because they go unasked. The greatest tragedy is when prayers go unanswered because they go unasked. 
And I think that can become a, a defining point for us this Christmas season. If you need peace in your life, go to the Father. Put it upon his shoulders. His shoulders are strong enough, they're broad enough. So this morning, or this morning as, we, as we close, I want us to, I want to give an opportunity for people to increase the peace of God upon their lives through his, increase, through his increased rule and reign in their lives. I want us to rely more and more on God. That was my main aim this morning is that we'd walk out of this place with this sense of greater reliance, greater dependence on who God is in our lives. And I wanted to get you excited for that going to the new year. This is, um, this is a major uh, aspect of who we are as a church, as a church that, um, that prays, a church that depends on God, a church that um, um, really believes that everything rests on him and him alone. And uh, to continue to just demonstrate to you all how serious we are about being a church that prays and being a church that uh, believes God for the miraculous, uh, we are setting aside that, that first week in January, first full week in January for the week of prayer for that very concerted purpose. That we want to be a church that prays. That this is going to be a house of prayer. This is going to be a place that contends for the miraculous. This is going to be a place that really does depend on God to move in our city. And, but this year we're, we're taking a little bit of a different bent with it. As, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, we were in the works of writing this book, 30 Days Discovering the Power of Prayer. So um, last year I wrote that book, Discovering the Power of Prayer, which is always available for free out in the Welcome Center. If, you, if you're new with us, you can always pick that up out of the Welcome Center. Um, this year we decided to write a version of that, a complement to that, called 30 Days Discovering the Power of Prayer, which is, uh, it's a 30-day journey. Every single day, there's a reading, there's a Bible reading plan, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to respond and be activated in obedience to what's talked about. And uh, what's really cool about this, this project is it's, it's incorporated uh, original artwork from artists in our church, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's all full color. It's um, a really cool project how it came together. And then the other, the other aspect of it is we created 30 Days Discovering the Power of Prayer for Kids. Um, so the idea is that all generations, young and old, they'd all be on a 30-day journey experiencing prayer for themselves, realizing that they can have a relationship with God for themselves every single person in this place. And so uh, Nicole Barnes, our children's ministry director, she wrote this, 30 Days Discovering the Power of Prayer for Kids. Um, she is so gifted at bringing these concepts, um, making them tangible for kids. And so she did that. Every, every day the kids have a short reading. They have a Bible reading plan that complements the, the parents' Bible reading plan. Um, and so even families, they can gather around the table in the evenings and they can talk about the things that they've read about, which will be very similar concepts and ideas. And I'm believing that over this period uh, of 30 days and beyond, God's going to stir something in our church 
that's going to increase our faith for him to do a mighty work in our city, in our generation. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I just want to open up for prayer this morning. For those that need prayer for peace in their lives. I apologize that this was a little, little bit of a different message um, because of my stuff from Israel scattered in there. But, um, but the thing stirring on my heart was that I, I believe some people here, they, they needed a, really touch, a real touch from God, experience some peace this Christmas season. A peace that surpasses understanding that that's not just a, uh, a superficial feeling, but it's, it's a gift from Messiah of his of a uh, sense of his rule and reign in your life, that things are gonna be okay because he sits on the, on the throne of your heart and that everything rests on his shoulders. Everyone would stand in this place. If you're here and, and that's you and you'd say, Drew, I want an increase of peace. I need more peace. <laughs> Either you're struggling with anxiety or worry or stress or sleepless nights or tossing and turning. <laughs> Whatever it is, if that's you in this place, if you just raise your hand, I'm gonna pray for you. Yes, Lord. There's hands all across this place. Just such a confirmation, Lord, things stirring in my heart this morning. The Messiah of peace, this one who came in 2,000 years ago, he set up his governmental reign, which has been increasing on the earth for the last 2,000 years. Lord, this morning, show yourself strong in these people's lives. Every individual that's raised their hand, God, I pray you'd show your peace as something tangible, as something um, as something relevant to the issues that they're facing. I pray in the name of Jesus. Keep your hands raised across this place, Lord. We raise our hands as a declaration of faith, knowing that you are more than enough. God, knowing that you are sufficient, knowing that it all rests upon your shoulders, knowing that you're the one who comes and you rule and you reign in perfect righteousness, in perfect justice. That's who you are. So God, I pray that you would replace every lie of the enemy. Lord, you'd come and replace, you'd come and remove all stress and anxiety, not because the circumstances maybe will change and situations will change, but because truth will reign supreme in people's hearts and minds. I pray it right now in the name of Jesus. Over every hand raised, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray it. We believe it in your name, Jesus. An increase of peace to the increased rule and reign of Jesus in every heart, in every mind, in your name. Amen. There's no better season in the entire calendar year to make a commitment to serve Jesus as as Christmas season. So I, we always love to give opportunity for anybody in this place to surrender their life to Christ. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're here this morning and you say, Drew, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. I walked in here and maybe, maybe you knew Jesus at some point in your life, but this morning you know you need to make things right. You need to start a relationship with God. If that's you in this place, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray a prayer with you. Awesome. Is there anybody else? If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, this morning, 
I choose to surrender my life to you. I come to an end of myself. I'm sick and tired of trying to do this life on my own. And I come and I lay myself at your feet. Savior is Lord, is Redeemer, is my all in all, my, the, the answer to my sin issues. It's you, Jesus. I surrender to you, Lord. No turning back from this day forward, in your mighty name. Amen. Let's give those a hand. I prayed that prayer. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.